Well, good morning to you, Crossview Church. For those that don't know me, I'm Dan. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it's great to be with you this morning to uh, come to time to worship, but also worship during our Advent season where we remember Christ coming back. So this Friday, uh, I did something that I loved to do in Wisconsin Rapids. I went to one of my favorite places in Wisconsin Rapids, and that was Cravings Coffee Shop. Uh, if I had a lot of time, I'd spend a lot of time in Cravings. I love that place. And I went there, and uh, I went to the barista, and I asked, what was the flavor of the day? And she told me, the flavor of the day is a brand new flavor. You're going to love it. It's called Wind Chill. Wind Chill. Now, I don't have many positive associations with the phrase wind chill. Wind chill is something that I avoid. Wind chill is something that I can't control. Wind chill is something that I don't like. Wind chill is evil. Wind chill is part of the fall. It should never have been existed. And so I don't have a whole lot of warm, fuzzy feeling when I hear the word wind chill. But she said, no, trust me, it's kind of like peppermint. You'll really like it this time of year. So I took wind chill and I drank it and I loved it. It was excellent. My perspective was changed. And just like my perspective was changed when the phrase wind chill, the Apostle John this morning in his letter to his church is trying to change their perspective, and he's trying to change their perspective on the term love one another. He wants to change their perspective on love. Like we talked about last week, the Apostle John was writing to a church, and in that church they were encountering false teachers. Many teachers were coming and telling them that Jesus Christ didn't really have a body. He was more of a ghost, which has implications for the cross. They were feeding all these false teachings and doctrines, and they hung strong. They stood strong and they refuted with the Word of God all the different things these false teachers were bringing. And so in one sense, the Apostle Paul was proud of them. And he, or the Apostle John, he was proud of them. He was, he was glad that they stood firm and they, they didn't waver in their faith. But when he looked at the church, he noticed something, that though they had the right answers, they lacked love. They had the right answers. They were able to stand firm, but they lacked love. And so he wanted to exhort them and encourage them. And so he did so by saying, you need to love one another. And then he gives reasons why they should love one another. We covered two of those last week, that God is love in himself, that he's in essence love. And so if we are his people, we need to reflect the love that he is. Also, that God is the source of love, that he is the one who came up with this whole thing called love and, and, and dispels it or dispenses it onto his people and to his, the world. And so God is the source of love. And today we're going to see the third reason that he tells us to love one another. But we're going to see something else, too. Today what I want to cover, I want to look at the third reason that we are to love one another, but then I also want to see a shift of perspective. A reason to love one another and a shift of perspective. That's what I'm going to cover today. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it. Uh, we are in a season called Down to Earth Love, where we're celebrating the Advent season of Christ being the gift who comes down to earth uh, for us. And we're going to spend the whole Advent season in these passages of 1 John 4, uh, 7 to 21. And today we're going to be focusing on 11 to 12. And if you're new to the Bible and you have one here, we're glad you, you have it and you brought it. Uh, the easiest way to get there is to go to the back and then go through Revelation, go to Jude. You'll see 3 John, 2 John, 1 John is where we're going to be. If you're using our Bible that's in the worship center, I'll be on page 1084. 1084 in the Sanctuary Bible. So please look on. And we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, focusing on verses 11 and 12 today. 
It says this, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. We are to love one another. And as we covered before, we are supposed to love one another because God is love. He's the source of love. And now he says the third reason, we are supposed to love one another because when we do so, God's love is made complete in us. Now remember, we have to define what we're talking about when we look at love. Because in our culture, we use love in thousands of different ways, right? We talked about this last week, that we, we love the Packers, and we love our mom, and we love our spouse, and we love pizza. And it's like, what, how can you do all that? We're very confused when it comes to the word love, because sometimes we don't know what we're talking about. And though God is all about that f- emotional side of love, the feeling of warmth and care and, and acceptance and all those great things, he, he's a creator of that. He's, here he's talking about a different aspect of the love. The love he's talking about here is the ability to take others' needs and place them above our own. The ability to take others' needs and place them above our own. That's the love that he wants to see in this church. And so when he's talking to them about loving one another, he's saying you need to take the needs of the people around you you see and place those above your own. What is the motivation for that? That God gave his son who came to earth and went to the cross. And because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, we as his people lay down our lives for others. And that is how we love. One of the reasons we love is because when we love, our love is made complete in him. Now John gives a stunning statement. He says in verse 12, he opens by saying, No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. He's referring to God the Father. No one has ever seen God. Then he says something that's breathtaking. So how are we going to know him if no one has seen him? Although you can't see him physically, the world's going to know him when God's people take the love that has been sent to their heart, transferred by God upon them, and they live out that love among the church and among the world. And when they live out that love, then that love spreads. And that is how God is made known. One of the ways he's made known. He's made known through his word. He's made known through his son. And now John is saying another way he's made known is when you love, you draw people to him. One great theologian said this, The love of God displayed in his people is still the strongest proof that God is alive and exists in this world. When God's love is planted inside the human heart, healing it, restoring it, making it new, God himself lives in them and the world takes notice. When God was at work in our lives, the automatic default response when we understand what's happening is that we are to love others, that we are to love others. And when we do that, something amazing happens. It doesn't just stop at that. When we go and we love others, when we place the interest of others above ourselves, something else goes on. The other thing that happens is the love that's already residing in our hearts, this verse says in verse 12, it is made complete in us. So when we love other people, God is also at work in our own heart. It's not just for the benefit of the one we love, it's for our benefit as well. 
Now, some people say, well, isn't that self-seeking? That if I love, then I get God's love more in, in return in my life. But see, that's how amazing God is. It's not an either-or. It's a both-and. You see, God is big enough and his love is powerful enough that when we enter into what he's calling us to do, to love one another people, something we receive a benefit in the fact that his love is made more complete inside of us. And that's a beautiful thing. But we have to explain that. So what does that mean? Does that mean like God withholds his love to a certain point and then he gives it to you to make it complete? I can see why a person would come up with that idea, but that's not what he's referring to here. When you first hear about the love of God and you learn about the gospel and you learn about what God did in sending his son to die on a cross for our sin, now that if we come and we repent and we believe and we invite Christ into our life, we are now covered under the work that Jesus did on the cross so that we can stand before God and enter heaven when we die. That's the gospel story. When you first hear that and you give your life to God and you give your life to Jesus Christ and you invite him in, God pours out all of his love in his fullness into your soul. He doesn't withhold it. But what happens is when we go through this life and we begin to love other people because of the love that God put in our heart, it's not like when he says your love's made more complete that you get more of the love. What he's saying is when you do that, when you love other people, you are surrendering more and more of your soul over to the love of God that exists in your life. You are surrendering more and more of your soul over to the love of God that already exists there. See, that's what he's referring to when he says it's made complete. It's not like God holds back in the beginning and now gives it to you. He's saying that when you go love one another, there's a part of your life that's yielding to the love of God that wasn't yielding before. And you know what happens when that happens? Transformation. That's where our lives are transformed. That's where the heart is changed. That's where old sinful habits are now all of a sudden not empowered anymore. That's where our judgments and our thoughts and our opinions that are not lining up with who God is now come under that lining and and we see transformation happening in our life where we're more loving, we're more kind, we're more gracious, we're more merciful because God is doing something in our hearts. You see, when we love one another, we get the mutual benefit that his love is made complete in us, transforming us. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing perspective. A huge key in us becoming transformed into the image of Jesus Christ is that we love people in a way that places their interests above our own. And when we do that, we benefit. We should love one another because when we do, we are transformed and made complete in his love. We see examples of this all over. We see examples of God's love in an individual, and then because of that love, they walk out that kindness towards other people. In May of 1991, I was in the Air Force at the Air National Guard, and I was at a base, the Air National Guard base in Chicago, Illinois. And I was in a a KC-135 aerial refueling plane, and I was 
doing work as part of my job there. And as part of my job, I was in the cockpit, and I was kind of underneath the dashboard, if you will, of this aircraft. And so I was in there working, and we were kind of off the beaten path a little bit, and so it was pretty quiet. But then all of a sudden, I heard all these footsteps and these people coming up the ladder of the plane. And I thought, what on earth is going on? There's a whole crowd coming in here, it sounds like. And I heard some voices, and I just kept working. And, and then all of a sudden, I uh, heard a real familiar voice. And it kind of took me back, and I thought, that can't be. But I heard the voice of President George Herbert Walker Bush. And he was in town to do a speaking event in Chicago. And apparently what happened is he was driving to this hangar where there's a huge media and entourage where he was supposed to get a speech, give a speech, and then, get, then uh, get transported to downtown Chicago. And as he's driving past this plane, he saw some of us out there and said, hey, stop, I want to say hi to our servicemen and women. And so he got out, he stopped the motorcade, he came in, and he and his Secret Service climbed up the hatch of the, the plane. And as I came out from underneath the dashboard, I turned and looked, and here's President George Bush in the cockpit of this airplane. And he extended his hand to me, and he said, well, hello, young man, how are you? And I saluted him, he saluted me, I said, I'm doing great. And he sat in the pilot seat of that KC-135, and I sat in the co-pilot seat, and we just talked for a few minutes, and I just saw the kindness of this man come off. And then when we were done, I kind of said to him, well, knowing that he was a Navy pilot, I said, well, sir, uh, how about you take us up for a little spin? And he looked at me and he said, you have no idea how much I would rather do that than go do what I have to go do right now. <laughs> Today, this week, we kind of honored the legacy and the leadership and the life of George Herbert Walker Bush, and uh, I listened to all the testimonies, I watched the service, and one of the stories that stuck out to me is they shared that uh, of his faith, and they shared about his faith in Christ and, and how that changed him and how that affected him. And he, they talked about an example that happened 10 years ago where he was going into church to worship, and as he was going into church, they said it was a, a cold Houston morning. Wouldn't you like a full winter of cold Houston mornings? <laughs> Pales in comparison, I know. But they said it was a cold Houston morning. And so they said he was walking up to go into the church to worship. And he, when he walked up, he saw a young man who was holding the door open for everybody who didn't have a coat on. And he said, aren't you cold? And the young man said, I'll be okay. And George Bush took off his jacket and put it around the shoulders of that young man. And then he went into the church to worship. You see, love in action. Love with no strings attached, but because of the love that God put in our hearts, we demonstrate that by loving one another. And when we do so, God's love is made complete in us. It's a picture of what we're looking at here. So why should we love one another? Because God's love is made complete in us. Now I want to talk about a shift of perspective because of that. A shift of perspective. Many times when we hear the command that this verse gives us, love one another, let's just be really honest. Uh, we think, oh, yeah, I know, i got to love one another. Many times we feel guilt. Many times we feel this sense of duty. Many times we feel this sense of obligation. Many times we look at our own lives and we say, we don't measure up to that, and we feel this guilt. And so when we hear that, we have picked up ideas along the path of life that when we hear love one another, it can motivate us in a different way. Many times we're motivated more out of obligation or duty or guilt or fear than we are anything else. 
And what John is doing in this passage is he knows that. The same thing was true of the people back then. There's some things that are, are not new under the sun. And he knew the people back then would be motivated out of this guilt or out of this duty or out of this obligation. I mean, after all, this false teacher came in and they were able to stand on God's word and refute it. So he says, these are the type of people that are going to just say, well, if it says it, I got to go do it. And so they're going to love just out of obedience and out of obligation, which isn't necessarily wrong in and of itself. I'm not saying it's bad, but what I am saying is there's something that is better. And that's what John is trying to communicate. He wants to shift their perspective on loving others. And this is how he does it. What if the motivation to love one another wasn't motivated out of guilt or obligation or out of duty, but what if the motivation to love one another was motivated out of appreciation, out of worship, and out of expectation, knowing that because when I love one another, God's love is going to be made complete in me. So therefore, my motivation is, I know I'm going to love one another, and in doing so, God is going to encounter my soul, and I'm going to feel more closer to Him, and He is going to become more and more real to me as I love one another. You see the shift? Instead of duty, obligation, and fear, what if the motivation is expectation that God's going to show up in my life as I love one another? That God's going to reveal himself closer to me, that I'm going to encounter who he is. And you may be saying, well, isn't that selfish? But again, that's who God is. God can do both. God loves us so much that he wants to shower his love upon us. And he says, and then when you participate in my mission of love, let the motivation not be guilt, not be obligation, not be fear, not be these things. Let the motivation mean that I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to be there and I'm going to transform your heart. I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to take my love and make it complete in you. What if that's the motivation? to love one another. That looks entirely different, doesn't it? Do you know, people can tell when the motivation is different. People can tell the difference between a love that is motivated out of guilt and fear and obligation. And again, I'm not saying, it sounds like I'm really pouring that love down. Sometimes you just do that, and I get that. But I'm just saying there's something better. But people can tell the difference between a love that's motivated out of duty and obligation and a love that's motivated out of motivation and appreciation and worship to God. Right? I, uh, you guys know the difference. If someone tries to love you, you can tell when it's genuine and when it's not when it's put on. In the 1960s, as many of you know, the civil rights movement was sweeping across our country and there were many people that were trying to bring racial reconciliation and racial rights to the front stage so that we can uh, have discussion and change uh, sinful ways. And as I was reading about this this week, uh, I read about how the, there was a group of African-American evangelical churches in the South who were launching themselves into the civil rights movement, and they were putting the whole church behind this, and they were wondering, where is the white evangelical church in this fight? Where is the white evangelical church? It doesn't seem like they're there. They're definitely not there to the level that we are there. And one quote from an evangelical African-American pastor grabbed my attention. He said this. He said, you know, it's not that we thought the white evangelical church hated us. 
We knew they didn't hate us, but we just weren't sure that the white evangelical church loved us. You see the difference? When you're motivated to love out of duty or obligation or out of fear, you can push it past the hate marker, but you're not really loving the way God wants us to love one another. You're not loving in a way that makes his love complete in you and therefore spills out over to other people to the point where they understand and know that love really is because the author of love, the source of love, the essence of love, God himself, has now entered into the situation and is bringing people to know who he is and encountering the love that he has. See, when you love out of the motivation of worship and appreciation instead of out of the motivation of fear and guilt and duty, it's a game changer. It's a shift of perspective. And what John was getting at when he wrote this to this church is, I want you to love, yes, but I don't want you to love out of this false obligation because that's not true love. I want you to love knowing that when you do so, God's love is made complete in you and he transforms your heart. And so you will be drawn closer to God as you love one another. Let that be your motivation because now it's authentic and it's real. It's a flip of perspective. So imagine what would happen if every single person who considers themselves a Christian, every single one, what would happen if they began to love not with the motivation of fear, duty, obligation, but what if they began to love out of the motivation that they know God is going to encounter their heart And he's going to do something inside their life. And in doing so, make love real as they love one another. Can you imagine what the church would look like if we grabbed that motivation? Can you imagine what the world would look like if every Christian grabbed that motivation? So how do we apply this to our life today? I have two ways I want to talk about applying that individually. And then I have a way I want to talk about us implying that as a whole church. First of all, the one way you apply this individually is that if you haven't yet already, you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. You begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you may be here and you're like, I don't get what you're talking about, about love in my heart and what all that means. You know, God came in the form of his son and sent him to earth to die on a cross for our sins because God loves us, and he longs to be with his people, but in the time of the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world, and at that, ever since that point, every human being since has been affected by sin, right? We don't have to learn how to sin. We just do it. It's part of the sinful nature inside of us. And so God's in a dilemma, though, because he's holy, and he can have nothing to do with sin, but he longs to be with his creation, who are sinful people. But God took care of that by sending his son in the world because he loved humanity so much. And Jesus came into the world and he came in the form of an infant. He grew and then he went to the cross. And on the cross, he paid for the sin that was ours to pay. He took our place. You see, God is holy. Someone had to pay for sin. He couldn't just pretend like it didn't exist. And so Jesus Christ on the cross took your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world and God the Father poured out the punishment onto Jesus instead of us. So now it's been paid. So now that we can have a relationship with God and he says if you come and you do two things, if you repent, if you turn from your ways and say, God, forgive me for my sin, I want to live for you, and you believe 
And it's not just this intellectual belief that I believe God exists. The Bible says it's a believing into with your whole life. It's putting your whole life and you say, I want to follow you. When you do that, now what Jesus did on the cross applies to you. And when you die, you can know, you can spend eternity with him in heaven. Our wonderful, wonderful friend and sister Barb Christensen is in heaven now rejoicing with God. And when I visited her a week ago, we had a wonderful talk about this whole thing called the gospel. And she was talking about how she just loves Jesus so much and what he did. And when I said goodbye to her yesterday, I was talking with her, and and she said, she kept repeating a phrase over and over. She said, I will remember the love and mercy of my Savior. I will remember the love and mercy of my Savior. I will remember the love and mercy of my Savior. You see, she lived that. She knew that. She was ready. And if you haven't experienced that, make today the day. Let the Advent season be the day that you come into that personal relationship where it becomes real and that love of God is poured into your life. So that's number one if you haven't to. Number two, what if this Christmas season we love others and we think of new ways of expressing that love to them? You see, it's Christmas time, right? So we say, hey, love one another. It's the Christmas time. It's the holiday season. Love one another. And let's be honest, a lot of us say, yeah, 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 I know I got to do that, right? You know, I'm, the, I'm one of those. You know, I get to that spot where it's just like I don't like what I see. It's like, yeah, 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 I know we got to love. But what if because of this text of Scripture, we changed our motivation? What about instead of us saying, yeah, we're going to love one another because it's Christmas time and that's what you do, duty, obligation, obligation, obligation. What if instead we dove into Christmas time with our whole hearts knowing this is the time that God sent his son for me. This is the time that God sent his son that I may stand before him and be forgiven of my sin, have amazing grace poured over me, and I could be in his love. And because of that, I'm going to be motivated then to love one another. And because I'm going to be motivated in that way, I'm going to think of different ways to express love. I'm going to think of creative ways. I'm going to think of loving someone that I probably never would have thought of loving before. I'm going to just move into this thing of love, not because I have to because it's Christmas time, but because I'm reflecting and thinking about the amazing thing God did by sending his son to this earth. That's a game changer. That shifts perspective. So if you haven't considered giving yourself to Christ and begin a personal relationship with him, number two, begin to love this Christmas season with a different motivation. And now this third thing I want to do is more about a corporate way of how we as Crossview Church can love one another, not so much individually. And if you're visiting here today, uh, we're glad you're here. We're going to kind of have what's called a Crossview family moment, so you can get to kind of sit in the living room and watch what's happening around, but we are glad you're here. But we're going to talk about some things that are more kind of central to Crossview, and that's uh, this. In light of this scripture, one of the biggest ways we can express love to one another in Crossview Church is that we care for one another when we're going through difficult times. When the wheels on the cart of life fall off, when we have people around us that will pick us up and help carry us, that is a beautiful expression of God's love in his church. 
I think very few things can express God's love as fully as that, is that when life gets into those situations where they're pa- it's painful, it's difficult, it's hard to have the, group, the body, the church family come around during that time and express love is one of the most beautiful expressions of love that can be given from God to his people. And I love that we do that, and we want to be about that here. That's our desire. And not only is it our desire, we want to grow and make sure that's happening, but we have to make a few changes in order to do that. So I want to tell you what's going to change, but first I'm going to tell you what's not going to change. And to set that up, I have to say this. When we were a church that was a campus to Woodlands Church and we were under 200 people and I was the campus pastor and I didn't have to worry too much about preaching and there was other things going on, I could easily be involved in a lot of those care need situations in our church. I could easily do that, as well as our other uh, pastor we had, Pastor Steve. He could do those things. However, now that we are approaching 500, it's a different ball game, so to speak. I can't be at all those personally as the senior pastor of the church and do the things that I'm required to do as a senior pastor. But what's not going to change is our heart to want to care for you in those difficult times. Our heart to make sure you're cared for is not going to change. In fact, it's going to grow, and it's going to get even more biblical. It's the... It's the motivation, the desire of the pastoral staff and the elder board to make sure that people who call Crossview Church their family home get cared for in those times of need. And I'm grateful to be a part of an incredible team of pastors and directors, uh, Jen and Chris and Ryan and Kale and Tracy. Uh, we make up our kind of our pastoral staff team as pastors and directors. And Jen Oswald is our director of outreach and care, and she's championing this effort to make sure that people are cared for in our body, and I love it. Um, so what's not going to change is our heart to care. What is going to change is how we do that sometimes. And we're going to have a full team approach that I'm going to show you in a minute But what I want to share is many of us grew up in a church where it may have been 50 or 60 people and one pastor. And that one pastor went and took care of all the needs. And there's something beautiful about that. I love pastoral care. My heart reaches out and, and to be honest, longs for that at times. However, not only is it not reality in the context we are in, there is a more biblical approach to care that I want to share with you. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 says, The role of the pastor in the church, is to equip the saints, that's you, to minister. That's one of the roles of the pastor. And many times our culture in the United States, when we think of clergy and minister and what it is, we miss that. But the true biblical model is that the pastor equips and, and models and disciples that the people to be the ones that do the ministry. See, we have even the thought of me being a minister, that title. It's somewhat misplaced because biblically, I'm not the minister. If you read the Bible, biblically, you are the ministers. And our role is to equip you to do ministry. So that's number one. Number two, in Exodus 16, when Moses was taking care of the people of Israel, Jethro came to him and said, you can't do all this by yourself. You must have a team that cares for the people. And in Acts chapter 6, when the church was exploding, it was brand new, and people were coming to Christ by the thousands, and it was expanding, and there was a group of people who said, we're not being cared for. And the apostles said, yes, and that is wrong. But you know what else they said? They said, but we cannot neglect the ministry of the word and prayer to take care of every single need. And so we're going to get a group of people, and the first deacon board was established to go take care of needs of people in their lives. as life 
presented it. You see, they didn't want to neglect this. And it doesn't mean they didn't care. It doesn't mean they didn't like those people. But they couldn't neglect this for the sake of care. And so the elders this morning asked me to just kind of clarify my role as senior pastor to you and then show you how this all comes together in how we're going to care for people here at Crossview. Number one, the number one task that in my job description, the number one thing that I am being asked to do and to hold above all else is to teach and preach God's word to you on Sunday morning. The number one way I'm going to express my love for you. The number of way I'm going to express my care for you. I wish I could be there every moment that you're hurting, you're sick. And I will be at some of those. But I wish I could be at every one, but I can't. But the number one way I'm going to express that care to you is I'm going to make sure when you come in here on Sunday morning, to the best of my ability, you're going to get a message straight from God's word that is faithful to how he wrote it. And you can be assured that when you invite someone across your church and they come in on Sunday morning, they're going to hear a message that's strictly from the Bible and, and not a human opinion. And it's going to say, here's what God says, because that's what they need for their lives. And so my number one task is to be faithful to that. But that takes time. I, you, you made a mistake. You, you call the pastor that's not the sharpest tool in the shed. And it takes me about 20 to 30 hours a week to prepare a message like this. I'm not that bright. I need time to do this. So but that takes time from other things that I'm not able to do. But this has to be the priority for us, right? The second thing is that I have to be the keeper of the vision of Crossview Church. I have to make sure things like care and outreach and missions and discipleship and all these things are happening. And that takes time. And the third thing I have to do is I have to mentor and shepherd our staff. I love our staff. We have amazing staff of gifted people that God has brought us and they're treasures. And if we don't take care of them and steward them and mentor and disciple and shepherd them, we're going to be held accountable to that. And then the fourth part of my job is to do pastoral care. I will be there whenever I can, I promise. I love being at your bedside when you're going through difficulty. I love praying with you. That's why if you ever see me walk in a hall on Sunday morning and you want prayer for something, you have full right to stop and say, Dan, can I tell you what's going on? Will you pray for me? I love to pray for you. And if I could, I'd be at every pastoral care situation I could at, but I just can't always. And either can our staff, because we're at that level of number where that's where it is. So what do we do to keep the heart of care going on at Crossview Church? I want to show you right now the plan. And so i got a slide we're going to put up on uh, the screens here that I want you to take a look at. The care at Crossview Church. Now, this looks like it's kind of a hierarchy, right? Like one, two, three, four, five. That's not what it is. This is a team of all equals coming to the table to bring care and express God's love to our church, right? So part of it is pastoral staff. We have pastors and directors who will be involved in care. We're not going to pull out of it because we love it and we want to care for you in that way and we will be involved. But we may not be able to handle all of them. And if we don't handle yours, it doesn't mean we don't love you, we don't like you. It's just the reality of the situation. But we're going to make sure you're cared for. One of the things we just put into place is there's a 24-hour answering service available to get pastoral care. So if you have something going on in your life and you need pastoral care given to you, you can call the church office 24-7. We have an answering service that will answer, and they will page a pastor that's on call to care for you because we care about that, and we want to be in those difficult times with you. All right? The second thing is the elders. We have an elder board that loves to care for the people of this church. So they're going to be involved in care too. So it may not be a pastor who comes to you. It might be an elder. And they may be praying with you. And that's a beautiful thing. God has called them to do that. 
Number three, life group leaders. They're a part of the team too. And, and a life group is a group of people that gather during the week and they have a time in God's word and then they spend time caring for one another. This is one of the best ways you can receive care in Crossview Church because when you're in a life group, they know you, you know them, and they can care for you in ways that sometimes the rest of us can't. And so life group leaders are part of that care thing. So if a life group leader comes and cares for you, that's a great thing. Finally, friends, right? We are the body of Christ. And when friends come and care for you, know that they're coming alongside, just as we talked about, loving one another and loving you through that difficult time. And then finally, we have ally ministers that we're going to talk about this morning that I'm so excited about. Uh, Jen Oswald, our director of outreach and care, saw this dilemma that it's hard to care for a big group of church, uh, people in a big church. And so she established this team called Ally Ministers. And an ally minister may come alongside you in one of those difficult moments and represent God and represent Crossview Church's leadership in ministering care to you. And so now, that's kind of how we're going to do this. We're going to talk a little bit about ally ministers in a second. We're going to bring them up and pray for them to commission them in this task because they worked hard to get there. And I'm just so excited about this team that's joining the care uh, spectrum and vision, if you will. But I need to ask two things from you when it comes to care. Number one, if you're going through a difficult trial and you want your church family involved, please communicate with us and let us know. You know, I know sometimes there's this thing like, well, if they really love, they would know and they would come. You know, we're going to be healthier in that. Let's just ditch that. A healthy relationship is based on communication, and sometimes it has to be direct. And there's, it doesn't mean we love you less if you ask for help. We just need to know because we want to love you with all our hearts. We do love you with all our hearts, and we want to express that in the form of care. And we give you lots of ways to do that. You can fill out a prayer request. You can email. You can call. Whatever you do, if there's something going on in your life where the wheels are falling off the car to life, we want to come alongside, but please let us know. Please let us know, and we will respond. I promise that. The second thing is please accept whoever it is who God has called to give you care. It might be a pastor. It might be an elder. It might be a life group leader. It might be an ally minister. It might be a friend that we know knows you here at church. But whoever God brings alongside you in that moment of care, know that that is God's chosen instrument in that time. And if you would rather have that God's chosen instrument than anybody with a title of pastor, So when you are in that spot and you ask and someone from the body comes, receive them as God's gift to you to show his love to you in that situation, okay? 